What's up, guys? Open up to John chapter 8. We're going to dig into the Word a little bit, then spend the rest of the night just worshiping together. Uh, I am up here because Terrell went skiing all week long. So I feel really sorry for Terrell. He went skiing. He is sunburned, and his muscles are tired. And so he went skiing while you guys were in class. So I'm up here tonight. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8. We're, we're studying John this semester. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. We're going to be on page 894. Uh, and if you haven't been here long, there's two things that we're going to constantly try to push you into, push you towards. Uh, one is getting into God's Word, and then two is getting into community, getting into a group of people who you're in God's Word with. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. There are tables in the back with Bibles that look like these. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please grab one of those tonight uh, on the way out, and, and we want you to have that. And then two, if you're not in a group, uh, and by that I mean if you're not uh, around 10, 15 people that you really uh, can talk with and, and get in the Word with. Uh, we want you to find that, whether that's here, whether that's somewhere else on campus, another ministry. Uh, we, we think you need that, and so we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, there's only five weeks left in the semester, and so this is a great chance, if you haven't joined a group, uh, to go check one out, and if the people are weird, you're only locked into it for like four more weeks. And so check out a group, be a part of it, uh, see what they're about, but I promise you, uh, being in these groups is a, a great, great thing to be a part of and, and will help you grow uh, when God's people get together around God's word, we give God's spirit a chance to, to work into our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into John 8 tonight. Father, uh, we, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you are a God who has chosen to speak. You're a God who's chosen to, to reveal who you are to us. Uh, you're a God who pursues us, and you're a God who, who loves us. And so tonight, as we open your word, uh, we're dependent upon you to teach us, to guide us, to, to open our eyes to some things we haven't seen before. And so, Father, we just pray that, that your word will speak, that, that you'll get me out of the way tonight and just let you speak uh, about who you are and about how you feel about the guys and the girls that are in this room tonight. And so, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that guides us. And we just pray all these things in the beautiful name of Christ. Amen. So, we are in John chapter 8. Uh, if you've ever read through the Gospels or if you've been here with us uh, over the semester, over this year, Throughout the Gospels, there's these few crowds of people that we meet over and over again. And really, anytime Jesus would speak, anytime Jesus would teach or do a miracle, uh, we keep seeing the same groups of people over and over again in the stories. Uh, we, we see really three groups of people. First, we see a group of people that just absolutely hates Jesus. And so in every story, we see that Jesus speaks or Jesus does something. And there's these people who just outright hate Jesus. They reject Jesus. And eventually, they're the people that will nail Jesus to a cross. They, they can't stand him. And those people have been a part of most of the stories we've read. Uh, there's this second group of people that are followers of Jesus. And so these are the people in the stories who see and hear Jesus. And they believe that he really is who he's claiming to be. And so Jesus has been claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be uh, God who steps out of heaven and takes on flesh. And, and throughout the Gospels, there's people who hear that and people who understand that, and, and they believe and they find life in Christ. And these people are called disciples. They're called followers of Christ because they believe Jesus. They do what he asks them to do, and they follow him and accept his teaching. And then in every story, there's not just those who hate Jesus and those who follow Jesus. There's this, this third crowd, and these are, this is really a crowd of people that are in between these two crowds. That they're, they're kind of on the fringes of this whole story. Uh, they don't really consider themselves followers. They, they like Jesus. They're open to Jesus. They listen to Jesus. They're, they're intrigued by Jesus. They're, they're interested in his miracles, but, and so they don't really like him, love him. They don't really hate him. They're, they're not his followers. They're just kind of this group in the middle, and they, they just kind of like to be around Jesus, but stay on the fringes, stay unidentified, uh, and not, just not, not really be too committed to it. And so I call these people the fans. They're just kind of fans of Jesus. They're, they're not followers. 
They don't do what he says. They don't uh, obey him, but they are fans generally of what he's been saying, what he's been doing, but they want to stay on the fringes. They, they like Jesus, but they like him at a safe distance. And so this is kind of like us when we go to the zoo and see a lion. We, we like it, but we like it only at a safe distance. And there's these people, when they followed Jesus, that's the way they treated him. They listened to him. They, they enjoyed what he was doing, what he was saying, but they wanted to stay kind of neutral. They, they wanted to stay on the fringes of this movement. They, they wanted to watch Jesus from a safe distance. And so in our passage tonight in, in John chapter 8, Jesus is going to really address that third group. He's going to address that third group. He's going to speak to these people, really, who consider themselves fans of Jesus. Not, not followers and not really against him, but, but just kind of the fringe group that calls themselves fans. And I don't know how much time you spent in the Gospels. I don't know how much time you spent uh, reading the words of Jesus and what he did. But one thing that stands out in the Gospels is that Jesus isn't after fans. Uh, Jesus doesn't, doesn't care how many fans he has. He's not trying to be popular. He's not trying to, to get a lot of people to like him. Uh, when, he, when he saw these people that were kind of in the middle, this fringe group, he would go after them and he would not allow them to stay there. He, he would not allow people just to stay at this safe distance to, to be his fans. And, and so I want to I ask tonight, why is that? Why would Jesus treat people who were generally in favor of him this way? Why would he go after them so relentlessly? And see, there's an important lesson here that as we read through this passage, I want you to pick up on that, that Jesus is not after fans, he's after followers. Jesus is not trying to be popular, and he's not trying to gain this, this popular following. He's not after fans. He's after people who follow him and, and listen to him and accept his word and, and obey his word. See, Jesus doesn't want fans. He doesn't want people who like him or keep him at a safe distance. He, he doesn't allow that. He, he goes after them and calls them to be his followers. And so I think that as we read the passage tonight, we need to pay close attention and really ask ourselves some important questions. Uh, we need to, to know what is the difference between a fan and a follower? What was it that differentiated the two? What is the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus? And then I think each of us need to decide which one of those we are. Am I a person that's in that, that first group? I'm a fan of Jesus and I like, to, I like to follow him, but at this safe distance, or am I truly a follower, what, what he's after? Am I a fan or am I a follower of Jesus? And, and thankfully, Jesus is going to help us answer that, uh, starting in verse 27. If you'll start reading with me, I want to read through this a little bit and just talk about what's going on as Jesus helps us to understand the difference between a fan and a follower of him. So John chapter, uh, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, it says, They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so we're picking up here kind of in the middle of a story, in the middle of a chapter, and so I'll try to catch you up in a minute. But they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. A few weeks ago, uh, Terrell walked you through this passage where he claimed to be the light of the world, and he, ca he came to reveal the Father to the people. Uh, and then in verse 28, he says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and, I, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And so we, we begin to see this dynamic that Jesus has been talking to this crowd. And he's been trying to explain to them who he is, and they're really lost in the midst of that. And, and he begins to tell them that when he speaks, he speaks for the Father. And then he makes this reference to the cross, and he says, listen, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. In other words, when, when you understand all that I've said in light of the cross, a lot of this stuff is going to make sense to you. And he begins to tell them who he is and that he speaks not on his own authority but for the Father. And, and we're told that when he said these words, there were some in the crowd who believed that. So, so there were some in the crowd who they didn't necessarily understand all that he was referencing. 
They probably didn't have the cross in mind, but they heard Jesus speak, and they understood his authority. They understood that he was speaking like no man had ever spoken before. And they looked at him, and they said, and it says that they believed in him. So I want you to pay attention to what happens in 31. This is something we need to pay attention to. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So, So he's speaking directly to these people who have just heard this message. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we're familiar with the second half of that verse, aren't we? Verse 32 is very popular. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a common uh, saying in our day. So people who aren't at all uh, familiar or interested in Jesus know that statement, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But notice what we skip past in verse 31. It's an important part of the verse that if you skip past it, you miss the entire meaning that Jesus is going after. He doesn't just say, if you, know the tr- the, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does he say? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So he's looking at this crowd. He's looking out at some people who have just believed that he is who he says he is. And he says to these people who are really kind of on the borderline, a fan and follower, they're, they're on the borderline trying to decide, are we really going to go with this guy and do everything he says to do, or are we going to stay at a distance and just be a fan of his? And, and Jesus says in the most direct way he can, here's what a disciple is. It's someone who abides in me. A, a disciple, a true disciple, is someone who abides in me. And, and so, so this is Jesus telling us the difference between a fan and a follower. But what, what's the difference between a fan and a follower? See, it's found in this little word, abide. The, the difference between a fan and a follower is, is, is to abide in his word. Uh, that, that word abide means to live in or to dwell in. He's saying those who are my followers abide in my word. They, they live in my word. And this is incredibly important. Jesus just tells us the difference between a fan and, and a follower. And, and here's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that, that a fan of Jesus is someone who listens to his word. So there were a lot of those people around, someone who just heard him and listened to him and processed what he had to say, but he said a follower is someone who lives in my word. And there's a profound difference between those two things. A fan of Jesus listens to Jesus and hears Jesus and may even like some of what Jesus has to say. But he said that's not a follower. A follower is someone who abides in my word. A follower is someone who who lives in it, who dwells in it, that, that, that my word becomes their home. And so I love how graphic this description is from Jesus. A, a follower of Jesus makes God, God's word their home. I love that. A follower of Jesus makes God's word his or her home. It's, it's where we dwell. It's where we live. It's where we sleep and eat and rest. It's where we spend the majority of our time. And Jesus is saying this is the difference between a fan and a follower. A fan listens to me, but a, but a follower makes his home in me. A, a follower comes to me and rests in me and, and eats in me and sleeps in me. His entire life is wrapped around me. See, see, a fan hears God's word, but a follower lives in it. He abides in it. And I, and I love this image because there's nothing like home, is there? There's, there's nothing like being at home. Our home is this place where we can go and just relax and rest, and our, our hearts and our soul just find peace and rest. Uh, I was on the road this weekend, and I stayed in a hotel room, and uh, several of the guys know this about me. When I travel, I travel with my own blanket and my own towel because I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, and so I usually get to a hotel room and, like, don't want to touch anything, and uh, one time I saw this special on 2020, and they they basically just showed how dirty everything in the hotel room was, and ever since then, I've just been completely freaked out by it, and so I'll be laying there in the bed, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're laying there in bed, then all of a sudden you wake up, and there's a hair in your mouth. You ever had that? And you're, and you're, you're halfway pretending that it's your hair, like, no, this has got to be mine, and you just kind of just go back to sleep. 
man, there, there's no place like home. There's no place, I'm, I'm going I'm to channel the Wizard of Oz here for a little bit, but there's no place like home. And, and Jesus uses this graphic, graphic image that a follower of Christ is someone who takes God's word and not only listens to it, not only considers it, but it becomes home to them. It, it becomes the thing that we, that we uh, just orient all of our lives around. And, and so that's a, a really simple question for you guys tonight. Is, is God's word your home? Is it where you find rest and life and refuge and peace? Do you run back to it again and again? See, for me, I, I, honestly, when I was in college, God's word wasn't home to me. Uh, it, it was something that I visited occasionally, mainly when I needed something. And I think we call that a grocery store or a storm shelter. It wasn't a home. It was just something when I needed something, I would go to it, and I would hope that it would provide that. But, but it wasn't a home. And, see, I was a fan of Jesus. I wasn't a follower. I wanted him to act under my authority not submit to his authority over my life. I wanted to listen to parts of the Bible that I liked, but I wanted to ignore the parts of the Bible I didn't like and that weren't convenient to the way I wanted to live my life. I wanted to be around Jesus, but I wanted to be around Jesus on my own terms, and, and I wanted to, to stay at a safe distance from him so he couldn't be completely involved in my life. In fact, I, I brought this book with me. Uh, it's a great book if you use it the right way, but this book was my best friend in college. It's called Where to Find It in the Bible, the Ultimate A to Z Resource. And so uh, what, what this book is, is if you have a question about the Bible, you can just go and flip open, and it really has an alphabetical order, just a bunch of different topics. And, and this is the way I treated the Bible in, in college for a long time, that I would have a question, and so I would go to this reference, and it would tell me where to look in the Bible, and I would look at the Bible, and I would look for my answer. And if I got my answer, I would be happy. If I didn't get my answer, I would keep looking. And see, what, what, what began to happen, and what, you, you probably see what's wrong with that, that I'm treating the Bible as if, it's, as if I'm its authority. In other words, I'm going to it saying, okay, God, I have this question, and I need you to answer it, so show me your answer. Okay, God, I have this other question, and so I want you to answer that question, answer it for me. And there was never a time where I was going to God's word saying, God, you have the right to speak into my life now. You have the right to ask me the questions, and so speak into my life. It was me going to it when I had a need. It was me going to it when I needed help. It, it wasn't a home. It was just something that I ran to and ran away from, and when I, when I needed help, I would run to it. But when things were good, man, I, I had my life figured out, and I didn't need it. And so the question for you guys tonight is, is the word of God your home. Uh, I, I saw an article on Twitter this week. Uh, Donald Miller posted a blog, and Donald Miller's a Christian author, and uh, he, he posted this blog, and he referred to our generation as the unfollowed generation. And so I saw the title, and I just clicked on it to read it, and he's talking about how our generation ha has begun to see all of life through the lens of social media. And he was talking about how uh, our generation has become what he calls the unfollowed generation, and what he meant by that is we're, we're a very tribal generation. And by tribal, he meant we like to find a community that shares the same values we do, and we like to, to, to affiliate ourselves with it and be a part of it. But what he said was, as soon as that tribe or that group of people or that friend does something that we don't like or does something that's embarrassing to us, we do what we do on social media when we get annoyed. We just click unfollow. Uh, you do what you do on, on Facebook. When someone annoys you, you just block their feed so you don't have to see it anymore. And, and as I read that, it just hit me that this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. That our generation is known for, for being people who very quickly unfollow things that we don't like. And so if, if Jesus begins to say things into our life that, that we don't like, we just click unfollow. If we read something in Scripture that doesn't line up with what we want our lives to look like, we just simply block it out and go to the parts we do like. See, we're, we're, we're the unfollow generation, and, and it's an interesting way to look at how we treat God and how we treat His Word. 
See, I, I think this has some direct implications on the way we respond to Jesus and the way we respond to church. So we, we, we hang around until there's something we don't like or we don't agree with, and then we just click unfollow and find the next place to affiliate ourselves with. And it's this unhealthy cycle that I think many of us have gotten involved in, that we treat God and his word and his people, we, we listen and obey to the parts we, we like. See, I, I think many times in my life, I was asking for God to reveal his will so that I could consider it. So I, I was legitimately saying, God, I want to know your will, but really my, my, my purpose was, show me what your will is so that I can consider if I want to do that or not. And that's not the way God's will works. God, God is wanting us to, to run after him wholeheartedly. God, show me your will and, and I'll do it. See, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. But the difference between a fan and a follower is that, that idea of abiding in his word, living in his word. A fan of Jesus listens to his word. A follower of Jesus lives in his word. A follower of Jesus says, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, whether I understand it or not, I'm going to do it. Jesus, whatever you say to me, whether I like it or not, you're my king, you're my God, so I'm, I'm going to do it. And, and then I want to return back to the, the, this verse. I want you to see how it plays out now. Now that you understand verse 31, now that you see verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then verse 32, the part we know. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, what I want to point out is uh, don't miss the order of those words. Don't, don't miss the order that Jesus said that in. That, that first we abide in the truth, then we know the truth, and then we're set free. Does that sound strange to you guys? That, that he's asking you to abide in truth before you understand truth. Does that make sense? He says, if you abide in my truth, you're my disciples, and if you abide in it, then you will know it. Then you'll understand it, and if you know it, then it will set you free. And so, so what Jesus is asking you to do, what, what Jesus is asking us to do is to obey truth before we understand truth. And man, that's a difficult thing. He's saying, I'm going to reveal myself to you, and I'm going to tell you some things to do, and I want you to obey my truth before you fully understand my truth. I want you to obey me before you understand me. You have to abide in the truth even before it makes sense to you. That, and that as you begin to abide in truth, as you begin to obey, you begin to understand the truth. You begin to experience this freedom. See, it's, it's not the truth by itself that sets us free. You, you can know a ton of truth and still be in bondage. It's not the truth that sets you free. What is it? It's abiding in the truth that sets you free. It's abiding in the truth and, and understanding who God is and living in it that, that, that sets you free. And so this is how Jesus begins this, this part of the passage. He, he's standing in front of this crowd of people trying to decide, am I going to follow him or, I'm just, or am I going to stay at this distance and just remain his fan? And so he, he says this, this sentence that, that, that we've been talking about. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then for the, the, the rest of John chapter 8, it just turns into this huge argument. It just turns into this huge back and forth where Jesus will say something, and the crowd will respond back. And I'm not even going to read through it all, because it basically just turns into this huge argument. But I, I do want you to look back at me with verse 33. The, this argument just begins as the people don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. Uh, John 8, 33 they answered him. And so remember, he was talking to the entire crowd. He zeroed in on these fans, and then uh, the, the rest of the crowd just kind of jumps in here. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They, they, they respond and say, we're the offspring of Abraham. We're the, we're the Jewish people. We are Abraham's tribe, and we've never been enslaved. So what are you talking about that we will be free? 
See, Terrell has talked about this a lot over the past few months, but basically what's going on here is th- these people are arguing with Jesus that so they don't have to obey him. That if we can make a, a clever enough argument, and if we can throw out some smoke screens, we don't have to obey him. Uh, if, if you've ever studied Jewish history, their statement is ridiculous. Their people have been enslaved two separate times for hundreds of years. And so first of all, they're, they're really bad students of history. They, have, they haven't studied the history of their people very well. But beyond that, they just begin to argue. They, they want to throw out smoke screens to justify themselves so that they don't have to listen to Jesus. And, and I'm not going to read all the way through this because it's like reading through the transcript of an argument between fourth graders. Jesus will say something, and, and they're going to just throw back out him uh, just some ridiculous stuff. They're, they're going to talk about, his, uh, about who their dad is. So they, they throw out a lot of Abraham. And so remember in fourth grade, my dad can beat up your dad. That was, that was their tactic here. We, we, they talk about Abraham immediately. And then when that doesn't work, uh, they talk trash about Jesus' mom. I'm not making this up. Uh, read it in community group this week. They, they talk trash about Jesus' mom. Jesus makes this point, and, and their response is, we were not born of sexual immorality. So, man, it's a good response. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father. So, so rather than respond to what Jesus is saying, they, they take a shot at Jesus' mom and Jesus' family background, that, that we weren't born like you were in sexual immorality. And, and then he talks some more, and rather than listen to his point, they throw out some racial, racial slurs. They call him a Samaritan, which to the Jewish people was an incredible insult. That, that, is it not true that you're a Samaritan? And then he talks some more, and they say that he has a demon. And so this whole, uh, this whole chapter plays out as Jesus begins to try to teach them and, and show them some things, and they just begin to, to lob insults back at him so they don't have to listen. And so, so you should read through it. You should uh, go to community group this week and read through it together. It's really quite entertaining, but we don't have time to go through it all. Um, I, I want to highlight three statements from Jesus. And so I'm gonna, I, I want to just point out to you three statements from Jesus in the rest of this chapter. Uh, in, in the midst of all this arguing, in the midst of the back and forth, three different times, Jesus is going to start a statement with, truly, truly, I say to you, and then he's going to say something. Uh, and so three different times, he's just told us, if you abide in my word, uh, then you'll, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's going to give us three truths that, that I think he just wants us to understand and know and abide in. And I want to just, I want to read these to you, and I want to talk about them for a minute, just that, that if we're to be uh, followers of Christ, if we're to understand and to, to live in his truth, uh, these, these are three truths that I think he throws out very intentionally that we may live in. Uh, so, so start with me there, verse uh, 34. He's been talking with them, and he just says, it says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So, so in the midst of this argument, in the midst of the back and forth, Jesus has told th- these people that to be his follower means that they abide in his truth, and then he just begins to throw out these short, powerful statements, these, these truths that we're to find life and that we're to abide in. And it's interesting that the first one he throws out is about sin. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, the, 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 first, the first truth that he calls us to live in is this truth that we are all sinners and therefore we're slaves to sin. He, he throws out this truth for us to, to abide in about sin. He says, we are all sinners and therefore we're slaves to sin. And, and I know you've probably been to church before. You've, you've probably heard that word talked, a lot of, uh, talked about a lot before. But if you understood this and if you believed this, it would change the way you live. Because we use this word a lot, we talk about sin a lot, but for most of us, we don't really agree with what the Bible has to say about sin. We don't really understand the depth of what the Bible teaches about sin. Uh, see, see, most of us uh, see sin something like this. We, we, we think about sin, and we've heard about sin growing up, and we know that it's our sin that separates us from God, but most of us have some kind of 
articulation of, of who we are and what sin means like this, that I'm a pretty good person, uh, but I've made some mistakes in my life. So, so that's how most of us, and that's how the average person would explain to you sin, that, that I'm a pretty good person and I've done some good things in my life, but I've also done some pretty bad things. I've also committed some acts that I'm not proud of. I've lied and I've, I've broken some commandments. And so, so most of us would articulate it that I'm a pretty good person, but I've made some mistakes. I've done some things I'm not proud of. And, and even those of us who are followers of Christ would say, man, thankfully Jesus died for all the bad stuff that I've done. He, he died to cover my sin. And, and man, I, I understand that because that's what I believe for a long time. That, that I'm really a pretty good guy, but man, I've done some bad things. And so Jesus came and he died for those bad things. And then what happened for me, I started reading my Bible, and I found that the Bible says something really different than that. That's not what the Bible teaches. That the Bible doesn't say that I'm a pretty good guy who's made some mistakes. The Bible says something that's not fun to, to listen to. See, the Bible says that, that you and me are, are not basically good people, but we are wicked people and selfish people. And man, that's not fun to hear. That, that I'm not basically a good guy who's done some bad stuff, that I am in my heart a wicked and selfish and rebellious guy. That's what the Bible means when it talks about sin, that we are selfish and wicked and that in our hearts we are totally opposed to God and his rule over our lives. So, so what began to happen for me as I began to trace through this and as I began to abide in God's word, I began to see that sin is not just some actions that I commit. So sin is not just that I lie to people or that I steal or that I lust or that I get angry or that I, that I worry too much. It's, it's, it's not just those things. Those things are sin, but I was stopping at, at the action. And what the Bible talks about sin is that it's much more than an action, it's an attitude. It's not, it's not an action, it's an attitude that is really reflective of my heart, that my heart is in rebellion against God's rule of me. Uh, in, in other words, that, that my heart constantly wants to be the king of my life. That, that my heart constantly, constantly wants to be lord over everything. And, and I don't like the fact that there's a God who's told me that that's his, his place. And so more than sin being actions that we take part in, sin is this attitude of our hearts that we're in rebellion to God's rule. Uh, and, and so as Jesus puts it here, if, if that's true, that we are all sinners, then we are therefore slaves to sin. That, that you and I are, are slaves to this, this attitude of rebellion against a holy God. Uh, as I was thinking about this, that, this week, I looked up slave in the dictionary. Uh, this is the definition. A person who is the property of and is wholly subject to another. That's what a slave is. A person who is subject to, who is the property of, uh, another definition was a person entirely under the domination of some influence. And so this is what the Bible teaches, that we are, we are sinners, and this is what Jesus is pointing out, that, that we are sinners, that we are not just people who have done some bad things, we are people that in our hearts, that in our essence, are in rebellion against a holy and righteous and perfect God. And you see, to, to be a follower of Jesus, this is a truth that you have to live in. To be a follower of Jesus, to move from fan to follower, this is a truth that you have to live in, that you have to abide in, that, that we are sinful people and that, that our hearts are in rebellion against him, and that because of that rebellion, we are slaves to sin, that, that we live our lives under the bondage, under the, the domination of this influence that we can't escape. See, see, when we begin to abide in that, when we begin to live in that, when, when I begin to wake up in the morning and no longer be surprised by my, by my selfishness, when, when I begin to, to walk through my life and no longer be surprised by the sinfulness and the wickedness of my heart, there's a freedom that comes with that. And, and I hope you see that. that, that, that uh, have, you, have you ever found yourself uh, looking at your sin and saying, man, I can't believe I did that? 
and, and, and then you sin again, and, and you say, man, I can't believe I did that again. And there's this cycle of sin in our lives, and every time we commit the sin, for some reason we're surprised. And, and what I want to tell you is if you are surprised by your sin, you're not believing the gospel. Because the gospel is saying that's exactly who you are. You, you're a rebel, you're a sinner, that, that when you sin, you shouldn't be surprised by that. You're confirming that the gospel is true about your heart. That your heart is and always will be opposed to God and rebelling against God and, and selfish. And so this is what it means to be slaves to sin. We're, we're bound to it. We're, we're subject to our flesh. And even the small victories we gain, we, we typically gain a small victory over sin and then become prideful about it. And that's a worse sin than the one we started with. And we're just in this cycle of, of, of sin and of death and of this, this despairing thing. We're dominated by this. See, to, to, to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, we abide in this truth that, that we are all sinners and therefore we're slaves to sin. That this is who we are without Christ. We are sinners, slaves to sin. But, but thankfully, Jesus doesn't end with that truth. He, he leads off with that truth. And he says, listen, I want you to abide in my truth and you need to know who you are. You, you need to know the truth that, that you are wicked people who have rebelled against the holy God, that this is who you are. But I want you to look at this, this next statement. Skip down to verse 51. He argues for a while. He goes back and forth with these people. Then in verse 51, he says something else. The first truth that we abide in is about sin. This one's about salvation. It's this beautiful truth that, that Jesus throws out. He says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So, so his leadoff truth was this truth about our sin and our, our bondage to sin, that we are slaves to sin. His second truth is this, this beautiful truth about salvation. That, that if we're to be the, uh, people who abide in Christ and follow Christ, uh, first of all, we need to understand who we are and that, that we're sinners. But second of all, we need to have the hope that the gospel gives us. And, and what Jesus is saying here, if anyone keeps my word, he says that again, he will never see death. The, the truth that he wants us to abide in is this, this fact that sin always leads us to death, but Jesus always leads us to life. He's told us who we are. You are people who have rebelled against God, and you are people who in your flesh will always choose yourself, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an escape, that there's an out. See, we're all slaves to sin, which is the bad news, but Jesus gives us the good news of the gospel, that there's, an, a, way to, there's a way to escape our slavery. And I, I love the way that Romans 6.23 just lays this out. Uh, many of you have memorized Romans 6.23 that tells us that the wages of sin is death. The, the wages of sin is is death. In other words, what we rightfully deserve and, and have earned when we rebel against God is, is death. That, that when we rebelled against God, when we uh, turned away from him and, and chose our own way, that, that we have earned and we rightfully deserve death. And, and I want you to think about this for a minute. When the Bible uses the word death, it's not using that word in a way that we normally think about it. When you hear that the wages of sin is death, uh, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is a that I should just drop dead. That's a physical death that, that my sin has earned, and, and that's part of it, but that's not the, the whole of it. See, when the Bible talks about death, death means eternal separation. It's, it's not just a physical thing. It's an eternal separation from God. And so if you think back to the very beginning in the garden, God told Adam and Eve if they ate from the fruit of the tree, they would surely die. They, they ate from the fruit of the tree, and what happened? Did they, did they drop dead? No. See, the process of death began, but they lived for hundreds of more years. What happened immediately was what? There was a separation between them and a holy God. Death set in immediately. See, the wages of sin is death. The wages of my rebellion against God is separation from him. That's what that verse means. 
that the wages, what, what I have earned and what I deserve because of my rebellion against God is to be separated from him because he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, and, and I'm dirty and I'm broken. And, and a holy God can't fellowship with a, a dirty and, and broken man. So, so the wages of our, our rebellion against God is separation from God. But the rest of Romans 6.23 summarizes what Jesus means when he says he, he will never see death. He says those who follow me will never see death. They will never see this death, this separation between the Father and, and his creation. That those who abide in me, those who believe in me, those who follow me, who keep my word, will never see death. See, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but how's the rest of the verse go? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The, the wages of sin is death. What, what I deserve because of my rebellion against God is to be eternally separated from him, but the free gift of God is what Christ did for me on the cross. The, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Christ came and he, he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross and, and, and he, as he hung on the cross, he was separated from the Father. He was separated from the Father so that, so that the wrath that I deserved could be taken out on him. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And see, this is the good news of the gospel, that those who follow Christ, not his fans, but his followers, those who keep his word will never see death. Will never see death. And so what that means is that, that there will likely be a day where your heart stops beating. There will likely be a day where your physical life on this earth comes to an end. That that will likely happen. But the promise here is that you will never be separated from your Father. Because of the faith that you have in Christ, you will never be separated from the Father. The, the curse of death is broken. The, the separation that should be there because of our sin has been paid for by Christ. And so this is the, the second truth that Jesus invites us to abide in that he invites us to live in, that, that when I wake up in the morning, I need to understand, man, I'm sinful and I'm, I'm selfish and uh, in my flesh, I'm going to use everything I can that day to be all about me. I'm going to use the people in my life and I'm going to use the things in my life and in my flesh, I'm going to try to make them all about me and all about making me happy and all about somehow exalting me. But that I'm freed from that, that I'm freed from death, I'm freed from uh, the, the flesh, I'm freed from all that because of what Christ did on the cross that we are all sinners and slaves to sin, but, but that Christ has given us life, and that following Jesus always leads to life, that, that faith in Jesus is the only way to escape to slavery to sin and death and, and find freedom in life. And so I, I just want to ask again, if you, if you believe that, how different would your life be? If you really believe that, 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 that sin always led you to death and Jesus always led you to, to life, if you believe that, how different would, would your life look? If you went to Jesus alone to find life rather than to other people or other substances or other things, if you went to Jesus instead of those things, how different would your life be? Do you think that Jesus may do what he's promised to and give you life in a way that you've never had it before? See, truly, truly, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Those of us in Jesus will never be separated from him. Even when our bodies shut down and our lives on earth draw to our clothes, we won't be separated from him. And so that's a beautiful truth. And then th th there's one more truth here that we, I want you to hear and I want us to think about and to abide in uh, that Jesus invites us to live our lives in the freedom of. Look, look back at verse 52. I want to read uh, the rest of this passage and then point out just a few things and we'll, we'll worship again. So the Jews said to him, now we, know that you, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And so Jesus has made this claim that, that if you believe in me and if you abide in me, you will never die. 
And the crowd there does exactly what most of us do. We think of the physical death, and they're saying, what in the world do you mean that we'll never die? Every person who's ever lived has died. What do you mean that we'll never die? And Jesus just begins to explain this. That They ask him in verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Uh, th- this was among one of the most controversial things that Jesus ever said. Uh, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He was the hero of the Jewish people. And as they began to talk about Abraham, Jesus just begins to say things about him that shocked the crowd. See, the, the Jewish people are shocked that Jesus would say that, that he could stop the process of death uh, every person who had ever lived had died, including their hero and their father, Abraham. And so, so Jesus, uh, Abraham, the father of our people, died, and, and all the prophets that God sent died, and they ask him this question, you're not greater than Abraham, are you? Are, are you making yourself to, out to be better than Abraham? And Are you better than the prophets? Who do you make yourself out to be? And, and I love Jesus' response here. He, he doesn't at all hide from their question because he's not looking for fans. He's not looking for popularity. He doesn't care if they like it or not. He's calling them to believe and, and to follow him, even if it doesn't make sense. And so they ask him, are you greater than Abraham? And Jesus says, yes, I am. Are you greater than Abraham? And he says, yes, I am. In fact, Abraham longed to see my day. A- Abraham couldn't wait for the day that the Savior would come and, and all the sin that was on the earth would be taken care of. Abraham longed to see my day. He, along with the rest of creation, have been waiting for me to come for thousands and thousands of years. He longed to see my day. And so the, the crowd hears this, and they say to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How in the world do you know Abraham? And look at his response. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do, do you see what he's saying to them? That the, the before Abraham existed, Jesus existed. Now, Abraham lived a, a thousands of years before Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, I, I, I saw Abraham. I was alive before him. I know who he was. Uh, see, in the Gospel of John, John is stringing us through seven different statements where Jesus uses this phrase, I am. He's telling us who he is, and he's telling the crowd who he is based on these statements that, that start with the words, I am, because to the Jewish people, the words, I am, were the name of God, and they didn't speak them. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew, Yahweh, is just the word, I am. And so for a Jewish person to say that out loud was the same as blaspheming and claiming to be God. And eight different times, seven statements, including this one, Jesus is just going to say, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. And he's just saying, I am the one. I'm the authority. I'm, I'm the one who's always existed. I'm the one that Abraham has longed for, that he, along with the rest of creation, have been waiting for me to come, that I'm God in the flesh. And you can tell that the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. They picked up rocks to stone him. They, they thought that this was so blasphemous that they picked up rocks to stone him that they were, they were going to kill him for these words. And so, so I just want to give you one, one more truth to abide in, one more truth that, that if we're to be followers of Christ, we, we hold on to. And it's this news that, that Jesus' lordship over our lives is the greatest news in the world. 
That that Jesus' lordship over our lives is the greatest news in the world. And and what I mean by that is that that Jesus is above all. This is Jesus claiming to be eternal. This is Jesus claiming that, that he's been before all things. That before Abraham existed, he was there. This is Jesus saying that, that he's the eternal God who came and took on flesh. He, he knows all. He sees all. That nothing is above him or beyond him. He stands above all things. And this is just Jesus claiming the right to rule. That, that he has a right to rule. He has the right to be the authority and to be the Lord of our lives. So Jesus has the right to be the Lord of our lives. In fact, uh, we, when we understand who he is, that he's good and that he's holy, we should seek and delight in his lordship over our lives. So, so again, my question for you, is, is that true? Do you enjoy the fact that, that Jesus has invited you to ask him to be the Lord of your life? That, that Jesus has asked you to submit yourself gladly to him, not because he's trying to hold out on you, but because he is good and he is holy and he knows way more than you do. He's saying, you, you can trust me, you can submit your life to me, you can joyfully submit to me, and when you do, when you abide in my truth, even before you understand it, you're going to find life. You're going to find freedom in a way that you never have. Do you rejoice in the fact that nothing comes into your life that he hasn't allowed, that God hasn't allowed? Do you rejoice in the fact that he's with you and he longs to guide you? Do you you rejoice in the fact that he gives guidance to those he loves? Do you rejoice in the fact that he disciplines those he loves? See, this is Jesus telling us that that he is our Lord, that he is our authority, but that he also loves us, that that he he has the right to rule over every area of our lives and that we should, uh, should, should delight in that and submit gladly to who he is. So I, I want to wrap up and just leave some time to, cons- to consider these truths and, and return to our original question. Are we fans of Jesus or are we followers? Are we fans of Jesus? Do we hear his word and maybe even clap for him and cheer for him and when Easter comes around, stand up and, and worship him, but really not do anything he's asked us to do with our lives? Are we fans who simply hear his word or are we followers who abide, who live in this truth? See, Jesus asks you to abide, to abide in his truth. He, he asks you to understand that we are all sinners and therefore slaves to sin. He, he asks you to build your life around the fact that sin always leads to death and he always leads you to life. He asks you to understand and to accept that his lordship over our lives is the greatest news in the world. And Jesus is promising to us that if we abide in these truths, if we build our lives on these truths, that we will find life and freedom in a way that we never have before. And so tonight, as we worship and as we sing, I, I want it just to be a time for us to consider that. Am, am I a fan or a, a follower? And I want you to know that, that Jesus invites you to stop being a fan, to, to stop following him at a safe distance, and to give yourself fully to him, to call yourself his follower and to commit to following him and to abiding in him no matter what. See, I pray that tonight is the night that some of you give up being a fan of Jesus and just decide to follow him. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's scary, but it's worth it. To, to abide in truth that we don't understand is scary, but it's worth it. Because we follow the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.